it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade yes for the last day sadly i have to leave this great state uh the granite state and we are in this uh beautiful complex here this bedford complex uh for the final day rich lowry at the bottom of the hour the editor of national review to put the republicans chances and win the gentleman perspective after last night's results uh and we'll also take your calls i have not done much of that and i will try to do it today I know a lot of you have a lot to say, one 866 Keep in mind, you can get the show anywhere, and I just uh, was reaffirmed last night. If you just pick up your phone, uh, hit watch, and then just uh, scoot over until you get to radio on the Fox News app, uh, you can see us live, and you can hear us live. And we actually have a camera rolling right now. Uh, just click on the, on, the, on the radio portion of it. I know it's counterintuitive uh, because radio usually means just audio. We get video, too. Uh, and then you could for the Brian Kilmeade show and then you're set. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. What we had last night were multinational uh, strikes conducted by the United States and the United Kingdom. And these strikes were very specific to target capabilities that the Houthis have been using to conduct attacks. Middle East on fire. U.S. hits enemies in Yemen and Iraq. And we finally see our Secretary of Defense zooming in from his house as pressure builds on the IDF to finish off Hamas in Gaza. Number two. I believe 2024 is going to be the most important election we've had since 1864. Democracy is on the ballot. Is he out of his mind, 1864, as the end of the Civil War? Are you crazy? Who's the extremist now? Joe Biden loses 20% of vote in New Hampshire to an unknown challenger, Dean Phillips, and makes his battle plan clear to fight Donald Trump. At stake, abortion and a civil war in our nation. Who has that extreme agenda again and the rhetoric to boot? Number one. You go to South Carolina, just mentioned all the issues. Is her home state. But the issues based on those demographics that Haley's going to have in South Carolina are profound. Trump got about a third of the vote in South Carolina in 2016. He swept all 50 delegates. He absolutely could do the same based on what we're seeing right now. Right now, Trump beats Haley 54 to 43. The results are in. Trump by 11. Now it's up to 12. And Nikki Haley says, I survived and will go on. We're going to look at the numbers. So the GOP tallied the overall delegate count. Uh, five days after Iowa is 31-16 Trump over Haley. This was pretty convincing, though. Uh, New Hampshire Secretary of State, you can no longer say, well, the Republicans are impassionate. 322,000-plus turnout. That's considered an excellent turnout by any standard in any primary in any cycle. Now, keep in mind, what is next? Nevada on the 8th. Trump runs alone. Then there, uh, he is going to personally go to Arizona after. That's a smart move. He is no doubt about it. Trump is ticked off that Haley hasn't bowed out. He wants to think nationally. He wants to stop spending money. He knows he's got to go back and forth to court. South Carolina is the next contested primary. It'll be on the 24th of Saturday. And right now, uh, Trump has 13 endorsements, including the governor and two sitting senators over Haley, who was once governor there. He says it doesn't bother her, she said, because she was a disruptor. For Ronna McDaniel, she says, Nikki, great job, but you're finished. 
cut 17. I'm looking at the math and the path going forward, and I don't see it for Nikki Haley. I think she's run a great campaign, but I do think there is a message that's coming out from the voters, which is very clear. We need to unite around our eventual nominee, which is going to be Donald Trump, and we need to make sure we beat Joe Biden. It is 10 months away till the November election, and we can't wait any longer to put our foot on the gas, to beat the worst president, to beat a president that's kept our borders open, allowed fentanyl to pour through, allowed inflation to, to go rampant. He is hurting the American people, and we need to do everything we can to unite so that we can defeat him. What else can I tell you about the numbers and the results? So that's the establishment speaking, say it should end. And traditionally, it does end. If you don't have the money, money usually stops you from going on. And is there a place where you can win? So far, there isn't. The strongest bet with profiles, the, uh, the profile of a state, would be New Hampshire. Now, what exactly did the voters tell Fox News poll, uh, pollsters who were standing outside? Now, I will give you an idea. Trump runs up the score with conservatives, rural voters in New Hampshire, as Nikki outpaces Trump by double digits among moderates and unaffiliated. What was told to me by the governor of this state, Brian, don't get it wrong. Unaffiliated doesn't mean they're not Republicans. It means they don't want people to know. So that's different from independence. So that's always important. Voter analysis, Trump's biggest strengths, MAGA supporters, 87 percent, 68 percent of conservatives. Uh, no college degree, 64 percent. Rural voters, 57 percent. Those are strengths for Trump. Unaffiliated, 62-36 for Haley. Uh, for just over half the unaffiliated voters, they consider themselves Republicans. The remainder generally identify as independents. Trump easily outpaced Haley among registered Republicans, plus 42. And uh, we do know this. On foreign policy, which matters as much to me as anything, it is the third most important thing here. The number one issue Immigration. Forty one percent say that's their number one issue. That's over the economy by 10 to 31. And as I mentioned, uh, foreign policy by eight for Republicans. Only five percent could uh, really care about abortion. So what are the other channels saying? First off, I want you to hear from Nikki Haley. She is not pulling up the gas. Cut to. I, I want to congratulate Donald Trump on his victory tonight. He earned it. And I want to acknowledge that. Now, you've all heard the chatter among the political class. They're falling all over themselves, saying this race is over. Well, I have news for all of them. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. And she has some supporters there. They're there live. Uh, The President of the United States, in hearing that, was pretty angry. Cut seven. I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely (laughs) when it was at 7. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But but she ran up when it was 7. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know... Last last week, we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. <laughs> so he got generally heated a little bit more. He turned around at one point to Tim Scott and goes, don't you hate Nikki Haley? Tell everyone how much you hate her. And this guy doesn't hate anybody. 
And he says, Christian, I'm not allowed to hate anybody. But he says, no, I just love you. And we just talked to Tim Scott on television. So he is going to be a valuable surrogate that can calm the president down. I wish the president had a different tone last night. In fact, you just act like you won. You you won by 12 points. That's just a pretty significant win. Nobody, I don't think ever, non-incumbent has won Iowa and New Hampshire, let alone go on to get the nomination. Everything is on track. Governor Haley did not give up. You know why? She, to me, is a, is a strong candidate. It's a strong fight. You know, I've uh, Mark Thiessen coming up a little bit later, and Mark said, well, Brian, this is exactly like Pat Buchanan gave a huge run at uh, George H.W. Bush. The main difference is Pat Buchanan was extreme conservative. I'm not saying it's bad or good, but this is not an extreme conservative running way to the right or way to the left of a current president like Bernie Sanders did on the traditional Democrats. This is somebody that's conservative that used to work for the guy that she's competing against. So the MAGA world loved her, but I don't know if they'll ever find her again after this because Trump still looks at her as disloyal. We'll see what it means if she wants to think of a long, uh, long-term long future. So here are the analysts going out of their way to make sure that they know that uh, Donald Trump's got some weaknesses still. Cut 12. He's mad. He's angry. That was not a celebratory Trump. He's angry that Nikki Haley is still in the race. I do think that he looks weak. Basically, there's a woman that says, I want to get you. I want to debate with you. And he looks weak running from one person. Nikki Haley beat Donald Trump among independents by something like 40, vo- for, you know, 40 percentage points. That is not a good sign for a sitting former, a former president of the United States. Well, this is a, a very bad night for Donald Trump looking at the pattern. It's not a bad night for Donald Trump. Are you out insane? He just won. After four years out, 91 charges, four indictments, three civil suits, the controversy over January 6th, all this stuff going on, and he's picking the first two contests in double figures, one historically, and this one pretty significantly, over 50%. And people say, well, he doesn't get everybody. Well, it's because it's a bunch of good candidates in this race, and now there's another strong one. For David Axelrod, he does not see a way forward either, like Ronald McDaniel, only he doesn't have a horse in this race. For Nikki Haley, cut 15. The fact is, you know, when you set out to win a primary and you don't win it, it's hard to spin it into a victory, and you can't keep doing it. In, in, in Iowa, she was going to finish second. She finished third. In New Hampshire, she was going to win. And tonight, you know, we'll see how the final numbers come in. They, it seems to be widening a little bit. Uh, I really question, I mean, I, uh, I question whether she really ultimately wants to go forward to South Carolina and put her popularity to a test in her home state. And I'm wondering whether her, uh, her supporters and her, uh, finance, her financers, her donors are going to want to do that, too. I mean, I think the handwriting's on the wall. I think the you know, if you asked me before if she lost by twelve, would she continue? I would probably eight, I would say seventy thirty. She's done. Now I think that there's especially talking to Chris Nunu, and even though he seemed pretty angry, even he's such an upbeat guy, he seemed pretty angry, uh, and he's still firmly in her court. Doesn't think Donald Trump can win. I do think that she's fighting up into South Carolina. I think that she looks at the last poll that we have is October, and she thinks to herself, "I know I can narrow the gap." despite not having people like Tim Scott in my my corner. We'll see. She gets to go home. 
She's not going to Nevada, I don't think, even though she has a primary there, but no delegates at stake. So you listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. It's uh, over here in New Hampshire, the side of the nation's first primary, and it looks like there'll be more. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Once Donald Trump, say he succeeds in, in, in winning the nomination early, the attention is going to drop off of him. To, to some degree, the longer the contest goes on, a reasonable amount of time, the better off he is because it allows him to articulate a vision for the general election. Mm. What matters is not so much, you know, uh, how much she says and what and what she's doing as what he does. If he takes on, on the, 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 the task of describing a general election message and, and positioning himself to beat Biden after winning the nomination, if he feels secure about getting the nomination, then he's going to be better off. Uh, that's interesting. That's an interesting thought. And that's pr- pretty much what I said this morning is that when they had that long contest, I'm talking about young first time Senator Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, when they battled it out for months, bottom line is it got contentious. It got personal, but it overwhelmed everything else. And I think he got Barack Obama ready. I mean, you go against Hillary Clinton and the Clinton machine on a regular basis. You can't take one day off after you stun her in Iowa, lose in New Hampshire. You knew it was going to be a long battle that made them both better. I know they had to divide up the money, and eventually Hillary would lose, but it would be a tight race. She didn't obviously learn enough, but that's what Karl Rove is seeing now, if I'm to extrapolate what exactly he means. For Britt Hume, he weighed in and said this about what Haley did yesterday, and we're talking about a 12-point deficit, but getting in the 40s. Well, the big question tonight, I think, was whether the margin Trump was going to win. That was pretty, you know, if he hadn't, it would have been a staggering upset. But the question is whether the margin that Nikki Haley held would be sufficient to keep her going for a while. And I think it manifestly is. I mean, you know, there were polls that had her down 11. There were one that had one poll had her down, what, 16 in recent days. So, you know, everything is about expectations at this stage. Uh, and I think she remains alive and, and kicking and on to the next place. Yeah, and that's what Chris Nunu was saying this morning. Uh, essentially, she she did enough to go on. It all comes down to money, though, and that's it. I, I don't know if I look at Trump and see weakness when you get over 50% in the two, uh, two straight polls. I think you have to give uh, Nikki Haley some credit, don't you think? Another expert, Mark Penn, weighed in, cut 24. First, I was amazed that there's now a Donald Trump who will share the podium with his former opponents. That is, as you say, <laughs> a new Donald Trump out there. Uh, 
Uh, No question. Look, when I look at these numbers, he has consolidated his opponents except one, Nikki Haley. He's on the way to winning this nomination, but she is holding the critical swing vote in the election. If he doesn't reconcile with her, it will be a fission that Democrats will be able to exploit in the election with their key issues on abortion, on climate change, and in those suburbs. So he's still got a big job ahead of him. It's not over yet. He isn't. So meanwhile, where was President Biden yesterday? Well, President Biden was out speaking with Kamala Harris, making a Virginia appearance, a state they got to be worried about after the performance of Glenn Youngkin and how popular he remains. It was once a, a leaning blue state. But he was interrupted 11 times yesterday in making a speech, and he blamed MAGA Republicans, but he shouldn't because they would have nothing to do with them. It was about his foreign policy. It was about Gaza. It was about his support for Israel. And they are everywhere. And guess what? When you talk about a divided or fractured Republican Party, you have to take into account how fractured Joe Biden's party is. A lot of them don't agree with his foreign policy at all. You have a huge pro, uh, pro-Palestinian base who are probably motivated by cash who are harassing their own president. I mean, Donald Trump couldn't care less. He'll have security. He'll toss him out in a second. But listen to Joe Biden try to do a rally. The guy never speaks, never does interviews. But here he is yesterday. Cut 27. I believe 2024 is going to be the most important election we've had since 1864. I mean it. And the reasons are clear. Democracy is on the ballot. Freedom is on the ballot. Like the freedom to choose, the freedom to vote, the freedom to love who you want, the freedom to go to work, go to school, go to your house of worship without fear of being gunned down by a weapon of war. Okay, so if you do not vote for him, you will be shot. And today is like the last year of the civil war in our country, which I guess will be finished uh, we'll go back to the shooting and killing if you elect Donald Trump. I mean, you talk about explosive rhetoric. Isn't that the definition of explosive rhetoric? Irresponsible thoughts. Uh, freedom and democracy is on the line. He's for referring to Hitler three weeks ago. And now 1864, you know what happened in 1861. And, of course, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln in 1865 You talk about a fractured country. We were literally broken in half, killing each other, and wouldn't stop until over 600,000 people are dead. And he thought or his speechwriters believed that making that reference moves our country forward or helps his cause scare people to elect an incompetent 81-year-old whose instincts are terrible, whose policies are worse. And that's how you want to run? So good luck with that. I mean, Donald Trump, for all his negativity, he does say this country's over if we don't beginning. I think that's a lot. That's saying we're heading in a bad place. President Biden's vision is terrible. But he didn't say we're going to head to a civil war with it. But I guess he's going to get a pass. We're going to get more of that, too. Also, the Middle East is exploding. Our Secretary of Defense has got some type of mystery illness that keeps him at home on Zoom. Are you comfortable with our Secretary of Defense working from Zoom? I'm not. Rich Lowry next.
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. At one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running. And we were at 2% in the polls. Well, I'm a fighter. And I'm scrappy. And now we're the last one standing next to Donald Trump. And today we got close to half of the vote. We still have a ways to go, but we keep moving up. I don't think you can call yourself scrappy. Other people have described you scrappy. Uh, but I do think that's her message and that she's not backing down. She's not done. And I think she has the money to move on. Uh, she is ratcheting up the rhetoric. So she can't say he's my friend. She's not saying he's my friend. I just think I'm a better choice right now as time was passed. Now it, he is too old. He is uh, mentally not there. Uh, and he keeps saying we can't have two 80-year-olds and nobody wants them to run. So whatever she wants, I'm not being critical. I'm noticing she's not doing things that would be necessary to try to eventually be a running mate, a guy with a ton of experience in all uh, walks of, uh, of, of elections and seen it and done it all is Rich Lowry. Rich is, as you know, the editor of Nash Review. Rich, that didn't seem like a concession speech. Do you think that – under further review over the next two days, she might come to the conclusion that DeSantis did, or do you see her fighting on? I think she's going to go the route of DeSantis, maybe not in days, but weeks. I think it's going to be very uncomfortable for her. You, you, you saw Trump's reaction, which, which I thought was uh, uh, preposterous, but it's his reaction. And uh, a lot of MAGA world, that's going to be their reaction. They're going to make her a hate figure. The polling is not – you know, it's not going to magically transform her for her in South Carolina. There's no big event ahead, foreseeable event. There's not a debate where she can change the the trajectory. And even with the mainstream media, the, you know, when your campaign's in this state, the first question every single interview is, "When you dropping out?" You know, you've lost <laughs> the first the first two. When you're going, you know, maybe she'll have the money, but it, it's it's going to be uncomfortable. And then it's not going to be a good right. result in South Carolina, right? She's going to lose. Uh, uh, by double digits, and maybe by a lot of double digits, and and, and then what? So uh, I think she's overperformed. I think she's achieved her goal. Um, I assume of being the you know the last person standing. I'm sure she'd like to go on, but I, I, I'm I'm a little skeptical that in the cold light of day, you know, after after a couple of weeks that she, that she's not going to make the. I, I kind of think she'll make the same calculation DeSantis did. So, so it's 54-43, The turnout was excellent, so they can't go with the storyline that Republicans are not motivated for Trump. One way or another, over 322,000 in the Republican primary, and that's not with, with really no Democrat to vote for, although Joe Biden lost 20 percent to Dean Phillips, which I think is noteworthy, but 60 percent did write him in. Uh, by the way, on a side note, Senator John Cornyn is now endorsing Donald Trump. 13 South South Carolina officials, including two sitting senators and the governor, are supporting Donald Trump. However, he did not win over independence and undeclared. Is that a is is that a worrisome for the Trump camp? Yeah, I, I think I think somewhat. Um, you know, despite Trump's complaints at least earlier in the night about the process and that independents can vote in New Hampshire, he won independence in New Hampshire in 2016. 
And none of his supporters said this is a terrible thing. He shouldn't have done it. You know, so obviously, it's a good thing to win independence. You, if you're fighting for a nomination, it's better to win, you know, partisans of your own side. And, and Trump absolutely stomped her among Republicans, which is a sign, you know, another sign that she doesn't doesn't really have have it uh, have a chance. But you know, I thought the most disturbing thing, and it's not so much is going to happen in this this campaign, is just how self-defeating how he acted on that stage was. And it was just because he was mad, you know, and he, and he couldn't hide it, uh, didn't want to hide it. And he should have thanked her or said, you know, good race, it's over now, Nikki, so we're not talking about you anymore. Let's talk about the border, you know, or, or whatever it was. And I'm sure that's what his team, who's been, you know, very effective and very shrewd throughout, told him to do, but but he didn't do it. Not the biggest thing, but, you know, a sign of, mm. of perhaps some worries, worrisome things to come. On temperament, here, here he is, cut eight. You know, you have to have people that speak up. I said, I can go up and I can say to everybody, oh, thank you for the victory. It's wonderful. It's what, or I can go up and say, who the hell was the imposter that went up on the stage before and, like, claimed a victory? She did very poorly, actually. She had to win. The governor said, she's going to win, she's going to win, she's going to win. Then she, she failed badly. She, she failed. Uh, she did not win. Uh, as I mentioned, I told you the count on the GOP delegate count is still 31-16. Uh, she came in third in Iowa, second in New Hampshire. And she is says she is can't compete in Nevada. They chose not to. I don't know why. And then in South Carolina, the last poll in her defense, Rich Lowry, was October. So we want to see a poll. I mean, maybe the poll might, might close a little bit or might mm-hmm. distance because – all these officials like Senator Lindsey Graham and Governor McMaster, they, they are pulling for Trump. Yeah, it just seems to me a lot of people mocked Marco Rubio in 2016. He had the, the famous 3-2-1 plan. He was going to finish a, a surprising third in Iowa and then finish second in New Hampshire and then, then win South Carolina. It didn't work out that way. But it seems to me, realistically, Nikki Haley's plan is 3-2-2-2-2-2-2-2-2. I mean, where is she going to beat him? You know, Michigan maybe is, is a little bit – like New Hampshire, but she <laughs> lost New Hampshire, you know, and that was that's her best. She had a sitting governor who's popular in the state, working his butt off for. Her. I mean, he may, he may have done more campaigning than, than she did. It was a little bit like DeSantis and Kim Reynolds in Iowa. DeSantis wasn't going to get another gubernatorial endorsement. She's not going to get another gubernatorial endorsement. In fact, in South Carolina, we get this. You know, this goes to uh, an, an odd phenomenon related to Trump. But one of his strengths is he, he's the outsider and the establishment candidate. So he still has this this, this outsider way about him. But every elected official in South Carolina is going to line up a, 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 um, around him. And, and Nikki Haley is really going to overcome that. It's just. It's uh, it, it's it's not it's not plausible. So I think you know going on there'd be a case for going on if she's just going to be the protest candidate. If if she's never going to endorse them and just say this is a, a mistake, Republicans, I'm warning you, it's a mistake. It's not going to work out. Mm-hmm. And then you know uh, hope in in uh, November 2024 she's proven right. I don't think should there be even if she did that and was right, it wouldn't benefit her. No one would be happy that she made this warning. Um, so I I think again it's like. Let reality set in. It's hard to give up these these campaigns. They put so much into it every hour, every day. I mean, we, we couldn't do it. I mean, you work really hard, Brian, um, harder than I do probably. But they're they're exhausted to enough, like every single day. Um, and, and to give it up is, is hard. But I, I think she'll she'll end up dropping. Mm. My guess, dropping and endorsing before South Carolina. Could be wrong, but that's my guess. Well, we'll see. South Carolina's next contest will be on the twenty fourth of February. Uh, on the 27th is uh, Michigan, 
on March 2nd is Idaho. On March 3rd is Missouri. Then Washington, D.C. on the 4th. And March 5th is Super Tuesday. In the perfect, in the, in Jack Smith's world, she, he sits for the January 6th case uh, the next day. But it's, that's all in delays as the president tries to convince the Supreme Court that he has immunity. But that, I don't care what you think about that. It's delayed. And I think the president will get a boost when any sane Supreme Court will realize you can't states can't kick somebody off the ballot because they perceive his actions on January 6th to be a different way that's been charged. Yep. So I think that would actually boost him up. I think, Brian, by the way, on the, that January 6th case, I mean, that's the real one. I mean, New York may never go to trial. It's so absurd. Obviously, Georgia's imploding. The classified documents, which I think is the most most serious and legitimate one, they're not doing it before the election. Those, those cases are just so complicated dealing with the classified material. So that leaves January 6th, and obviously they want to rush it, right? Jack Smith, a way a prosecutor never should, has an eye on the political calendar. He wants to do it before the election. He's doing this. You know, you're getting, you're getting he wants to get to indictment. Uh, and trial faster, and this hugely complicated and consequential case, faster than a lot of these routine January 6th cases. I mean, it's, it's just absurd. But the Supreme Court is taking up this obstruction case from some of the January 6th defendants having to do with how you interpret, you know, the obstruction statute. That has a huge implications for the January 6th case. It's about half the case. So is she really going to, the judge there, go with this case before the Supreme Court decides this important um, question of law? I mean, it could be decided in, in the middle of, of the, while the case is going by the Supreme Court. So it's crazy. So she'd have to wait. And if you wait, then you're into July, right? Or maybe August, you know, given other delays. And you're really going to do it, like, into October in a presidential election? I know they're brazen, but even that might be too brazen for them. So it wouldn't shock me if Trump can tiptoe through the raindrops here and not have any of these trials happen before November. Right. And that would be very it would be fascinating to see to see an honest election. Then he gets in there, pardons himself and Georgia case implodes uh, with scandal, which probably you have to wonder why they waited. They pretend as if they didn't convene with Jack Smith, but we all heard they did. And now we know they're working with the White House and they can no longer deny it. So what is Joe Biden doing through all this? After all, he doesn't want to go to New Hampshire. It's too white, evidently. Mm -hmm. Uh, So here is Joe Biden's message on the stump yesterday. Uh, Cut 27. I believe 2024 is going to be the most important election we've had since 1864. I mean it. And the reasons are clear. (laughs) Democracy is on the ballot. Freedom is on the ballot. Like the freedom to choose. The freedom to vote. The freedom to love who you want. The freedom to go to work, go to school. Go to your house of worship without fear of being gunned down by a weapon of war. All right. So it's 1864, and you think Trump is being incendiary? I, I know that my audience heard me do this 20 minutes ago, but I want to play it for you. We're, that's, the last, and that's the last gasp of the Confederacy, 1864. Our president would be assassinated the next year after winning re-election. And we know that the country was fractured at the time with only the North voting, and he was going against General McClellan. Are you what kind of irresponsible speechwriter does he have? Yeah, you know, it's it's the same thing he did when he was inveighing against the Georgia election law, which was supposedly going to end democracy. That was another end of democracy and the law stand, and somehow democracy is still here, especially in Georgia, where it's incredibly robust because everyone's registered and everyone can vote vote easily. 
uh, but in a secure way. So, yeah, this this is the message. Um, it's a partisan message. Do they sincerely hate and mm -hmm. fear Trump? Yeah, they, they do. But if Joe Biden thought the stakes were that high, the first thing he would have done is say, I'm stepping down, and Kamala Harris can't be the nominee, and I'm endorsing whoever, X, you know, Gavin Newsom or whoever that he thinks would be a stronger candidate or be a stronger candidate um, uh, than him for the good of the system, right, if, if the stakes are that high. He'd immediately close the border because this is if, – if Trump wins, that's going to be a huge reason why. Just reinstate all the Trump policies. But they, they, they don't really think it's existential. So all these other priorities, Joe Biden's personal ambition, the ideological goal of, of having a de facto open borders in many ways, all, all that plays. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a ultimately a partisan argument. All right. Lastly, I, I don't know where you stand. I really don't. But when it comes to foreign policy, it's interesting where the Republicans uh, stand. Uh, this on foreign policy, which ranks fourth, 50 percent of Republican primary voters say the U.S. should pay less active role in solving the world's problems. And if you're one of that 50 percent, 68 percent of those voters voted for Trump. Just 25 percent went to Haley. She has a different view. So do I. What about aid to Israel? 64 percent of Republican primary voters in New Hampshire favor continuing. And of those, 54 percent of them voted for Trump compared to 40 percent of them voted for Haley on Ukraine. New Hampshire Republicans are split. 49 percent of for New Hampshire Republicans favor uh, aid to Ukraine. 60 among those 63 percent went for Haley. 31 percent for Trump. There's a push uh, and Trump is behind it or or is not pushing back enough on it uh, to forget about Ukraine, pull back on Israel. Don't worry much about Taiwan. I worry about that. Do you? Yeah, I do. And I, I think it's it's a, a delayed reaction still to the the Iraq war. And if you want to say that was a debacle, we shouldn't have done it, and we shouldn't do anything like that uh, uh, again, that's an entirely reasonable, maybe correct view. Um, but then to, to go – so what we should shouldn't do is like fund someone else who's fighting uh, an enemy of ours, you know, in a, in a you know pretty effective way, and it's not costing us anything except for some money. Um, I, I think that's that's absurd. And the, the problem is, right. if we pull back from, you know, we might not like our international commitments, but we're not going to like it when China or someone else fills fills the gap. Thank you, hundred uh, percent, Rich. It's got to be explained by somebody who's sane and sober, and we don't have either one in the White House, and that's his mission, and he's. He's uh, half-assing all the weapons deliveries, making the anti uh, the anti Ukraine segment uh, for well, it's helping fortify it. Uh, Rich, we'll pick up National Review. It's going to be an exciting time. See how long Haley hangs in there after the big Trump victory. Prior to a big Trump victory. Thanks, Rich. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I see you up there, Scott. See you up there, Joe. See you up there, Bobby. You'll be my first three calls when we return. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I have not talked about what happened overseas. I will shortly. Don't move. On the road to 2024. This race is far from over. She's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. The latest polls. Instant analysis. There are dozens of states left to go. And we'll be there for everyone right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. New Hampshire. The president said a double-digit win in New Hampshire, and you delivered a double-digit win for President Trump. But I'm going to invite you 
to my home state starting tomorrow, where this election is over. It is time for the Republican Party to coalesce around our nominee and the next president of the United States, Donald Trump. Let's get that party started tonight. And uh, Tim Scott over the top last night. Uh, and he has been over the top since he joined the Trump camp. He says that I just talked to him, and he, he just said behind the scenes, uh, Donald Trump was even madder than he was in front of the camera. And so, uh, you know, he was disappointed. I just think the president's got to learn to deal better with disappointment. This after a double-digit 13, 12-point win over Nikki Haley, who's a formidable, formidable foe. Scott, you're listening in the villages in Florida. Hey, Scott. Yes, sir. Good morning. Yeah, I saw Mark Thiessen on Fox and Friends this morning, and he was talking about 64% of the independent went to Nikki Haley, and that leaves 36% to Donald Trump. And then he also said that's 36% of independents that won't vote for Donald Trump. Well, they're going to go somewhere once Nikki Haley's out of the race. And so the idea that Trump won't pick up some of them is just not true. And it certainly doesn't mean that Joe Biden's going to get those 36% of independents. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, there was a poll last week that said uh, there was a percentage, a pretty large percentage of people who, if they don't vote for Haley, wouldn't vote for Trump. It didn't say they were going to vote for Biden. So that's interesting. But they, this is what Trump's got to do. you got to go to school on things you didn't get, and that is independence, undecided. Uh, and I just don't, there's nothing wrong with that. You can't have everybody. Bob in Naples. Hey, Bob. Yes, Bob, sir. you're on. He, he made the point that Chris Sununu was saying that 30 percent of Nikki voters wouldn't vote for Trump. Thirty seven percent of the Trump people said they wouldn't vote for Nikki. So so that's a wash. The important thing is, however, that she only beats Biden in one poll, whereas Trump beats him in every poll. And the only reason that she's as strong as she is is because nobody's laid a hand on her. John Glenn was a good friend of mine. We used to fly back and we served in Congress together from Ohio. And I remember when John Glenn was beating Ronald Reagan in the polls. Well, yeah. once you get in there, it, it gets totally, once they take her apart, here's the final point for Governor Sununu. Nobody can lead a landslide in America. Yeah, they were too divided. Good point. Thanks, Bob. I wonder what Bob did. <laughs> From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. And it was a great it's primary, Brian especially when I think of Donald Trump. And according to Nikki Haley, she had a great primary, too. We're going to go inside those numbers. Trump wins by about 12. I got a great guest, uh, two great guests this hour, Byron York standing by, uh, and Senator Tommy Tuberville of U.S. Armed Services Committee. We know he's a diehard Trumper. I know, I think he should be happy about these results, and we'll discuss it all. And I appreciate everyone being here. Uh, if you ever want to get the show and you, you leave our family of affiliates, you can watch us on the app. You can listen there, too. Watch and listen. All you do is go on to watch, and then you just swipe and see Fox Business. You see Fox Nation. see Fox News. And get Fox News Radio. You can just watch and see. In fact, we're streaming right now in New Hampshire at this beautiful hotel. So let's get to the big three, and I'll give you more. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. What we had last night were multinational uh, strikes conducted by the United States and the United Kingdom. And these strikes were very specific to target capabilities that the Houthis have been using to conduct attacks. Here we go again, right? 
the slow ramping up of doing something you should have done two months ago. That is the Joe Biden playbook. But now we're opening up hits of uh, the Hezbollah version. Uh, those terrorists over in Iraq, we're trying to blow them up. We're trying to blow up the Houthis. The U.K. are helping. Where have I heard this before? Joe, always late. Number two. I believe 2024 is going to be the most important election we've had since 1864. Democracy is on the ballot. Yeah, I guess uh, Joe Biden's always more effective when he screams. Someone should tell me he, needs a, he, does, he has a microphone. Uh, Joe Biden loses 20% of his vote to Dean Phillips, an unknown challenger, and makes his battle plan clear. If Donald Trump wins, it'll be worse than the Civil War, and women's rights will be eliminated. Number one. You go to South Carolina, just mention all the issues. Is her home state. But the issues based on those demographics that Haley's going to have in South Carolina are profound. Trump got about a third of the vote. In South Carolina in 2016, he swept all 50 delegates. He absolutely could do the same based on what we're seeing right now. All right, let's hope. Uh, we'll see where that goes. That is uh, Steve Kornacki. The results are in. Trump's win by 12. And Nikki Haley says, I survived and we'll go on. Will she really? I want to ask Byron York that. Of course, a Fox News uh, contributor, Washington Examiner. Uh, he's with the chief political correspondent with the Washington Examiner. And you see him all over the channel. Byron, assess what we experienced last night in New Hampshire. Well, you know, it was, it was an interesting ride for a little while there because, uh, if you remember, uh, first of all, the polls going in, the Real Clear Politics average of polls showed Trump uh, ahead by 19.3 points. So people were thinking total blowout. And then, as you know, uh, maybe in the hour before the polls closed, the word began kind of going around that, you know, Trump, of course, was going to win, but – his margin wasn't going to be as big as uh, was thought. So then first first uh, results start coming in, and, and they are never definitive, but there they are. They're the first results. And Trump is up by about seven points, between seven and eight points. And it's at that moment that Nikki Haley runs out to the microphone and gives her speech. You know, it's close. And we've, you know, we've fought a great fight here and on to South Carolina and on to Super Tuesday. And this is going to be a long race and uh, I'm going to win. So that was really interesting. But what had happened, of course, was that the the early results were from places that were more Haley friendly. Uh, and the later results, more from rural areas and small towns, were more Trump friendly. So his lead began to grow. After Haley's speech, so by the time he comes out, about an hour after Haley, uh, his lead is growing, and he's really mad at Haley for for going out quickly and kind of claiming a semi victory. Uh, in the end, uh, it looks like as we speak, Trump's lead is about eleven point four points. Uh, probably not going to grow much more than that. I think we have uh, ninety plus, ninety three percent of the votes counted, so might grow a little bit more, but not much more. But it's a double digit win, eleven points for Trump. So here is Nikki Haley showing not only is she not quitting, but she's not looking to make amends. Cut six. Most Americans do not want a rematch between Biden and Trump. The first party to retire its 80-year-old candidate is going to be the party that wins this election. And I think it should be the Republicans that win this election. That's not going to get you on the ticket. 
<laughs> no, that's basically uh, part of her stump speech, and she she tended to give the same stump speech almost word for word uh, everywhere she went. And um, you know, as far as her being on the ticket, clearly a lot of people around Trump do not want her be, to be on the ticket. Uh, Trump seemed to, she, it seemed like she really got under his skin last night. I think you you uh, noticed when you when he came out and finally gave a speech, he was clearly uh, angry that Haley had uh, had gotten the first word of the evening uh, and acted like it was a, a win when in fact Trump won and Trump won won big. You know, as far as her ultimately being on the ticket, I will say Trump is one of the most transactional human beings on the planet, uh, and he can <laughs> so you think he it can could do happen. business. Oh, of course, any anything could happen. My guess is no, it won't happen, but it could. Right. I want you to hear a little. So, for people that didn't see it, see it last night or listen to it, listen to how uh, ticked off Donald Trump gradually got in Nashua. Cut nine. <laughs> but I felt I should do this because. I find in life you can't let people get away with bullshit, okay? You can't. You just can't do that. And when I watched her in the fancy dress that probably wasn't so fancy come up, I said, what's she doing? We won. And she did the same thing last week, but he was much more angry about it than I was. I said, get up there and you let him know. And what he's talking about is Ron DeSantis when, when Nikki Haley said, I came and uh, I won and we're... I did. I achieved my goals, indicating that she came in second. Ron Sanders goes, no, no, I came in second. So that's what she was describing. So he was frustrated uh, by yeah. her. And I just wish, something, wish there was somebody that could tell him, what's your tone going out? What's your tone? Show everyone. No rec- no retribution. <laughs> Remember, you got to fix the country. <laughs> it was funny, you know, because you're right. In, in Iowa, uh, Haley was supposed to finish second to Trump, and she was going to claim that as a big victory. Um, and obviously she finishes third, but she, it was like she had prepared a speech for a, I finished second scenario. And when she finished third, she went out and gave the same speech anyway. And she did kind of claim to, to have won. And DeSantis was irritated by that. Going a little further in history, somebody pointed this out, and I think it was pretty smart. Way back in 1992, Bill Clinton was running for president and he had really uh, blown the Iowa caucuses, not done well. Um, and he didn't win the New Hampshire primary. But at the very beginning, just like last night, at the very beginning, the polls showed it pretty close. And he ran out and immediately declared himself the comeback kid. And as that stuck, and everybody started using the phrase comeback kid. But what happened is as the night went on, the votes got tallied, and the actual winner of the primary, who was a Massachusetts senator named Paul Songus, he won by a bunch of points, but Clinton had made yeah. use of that moment to call himself the comeback kid. Very interesting. So what about the other? So first off, are you surprised that Nikki Haley is going to move on and and fight for five weeks until South Carolina, where we have not seen a poll that I saw since October? She's trailing by 30 there. And, and well, she lost a lot of popular, a lot of politicians. Is he going to last five weeks? No, well, I don't know. I, I, when, are you said you said are you surprised she's going to go on for five weeks? Well, we yeah, don't both. know what she's going to do because yeah. basically they all say that they come out and they say our race is just beginning. Uh, we're going to the next state. In this case, it's South Carolina, and then on to Super Tuesday, and we're going to go, go, go. And you know, then they get a, a night's sleep and they think about it and they talk to people and then they withdraw. Um, so. 
Is she going to stay in for the duration of the race like she says she is? I don't know. Maybe she will because maybe there will be some donors who want her to keep up her uh, attacks on Trump. Uh, on the other hand, it is South Carolina. It's her home state. She was elected governor twice. Right. And if, if, in fact, she's not going to do well, that's going to be pretty embarrassing. She may want to avoid that. So we'll see. So I want you to hear the, the advice or, or the analysis from other channels and tell me what you think. Uh, has anything changed for Donald Trump? Should he get to a one until he gets to the general cut 12? He's mad. He's angry. That was not a celebratory Trump. He's angry that Nikki Haley is still in the race. I do think that he looks weak. Basically, there's a woman that says, I want to get you. I want to debate with you. And he looks weak running from one person. Nikki Haley beat Donald Trump among independents by something like 40, vo- 40, you know, 40 percentage points. That is not a good sign for a sitting former, a former president of the United States. Well, this is a, a very bad night for Donald Trump looking at the pattern. Is it really a bad night for Donald Trump? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. You can always point out uh, some group in which your candidate did well. So, well, among independents, Nikki Haley won big or, you know, uh, Trump won huge last night among Republicans. But, of course, there were more than just Republicans voting in the Republican primary. So um, the fact is you count all the votes. Trump is up by double digits. So it was a it was a solid win for him. Um so the case is so the answer so the question is you know what comes next South Carolina does appear to be even better for Trump uh than New Hampshire New Hampshire was probably Haley's really best chance to do really well uh and we'll see maybe though you know the South Carolina primary it's kind of a weird schedule is not until February the 24th I mean a month from now and uh, there's going to be a month of, you know, uh, full tilt campaigning between now and then. I, I, I have no idea how it's actually going to work out. But um, Byron York with Trump us. seems to be in very strong position. So here are the top four issues that people in New Hampshire care about and perhaps the country. Voter analysis, most important issues facing the country, 41 percent say immigration, 31 percent say economy. Third is uh, third with just 8 percent is foreign policy and last is abortion at 5 percent. Dramatically different on the other side. But these issues really go to Trump's strengths. And in 2016, immigration was not number one. In 2024, it is. Yeah. And and also immigration, you know, went to the top of some people's list, of course, because what's happened on the border, which has happened because Joe Biden dismantled Donald Trump's policies. I mean, it's very, very specific cause and effect here. Joe Biden dismantled the policies and sent the message to the world that if you cross illegally into the United States, you will be allowed to stay. That was a powerful message and a powerful magnet for people to come to the United States, and at least 8 million of them have uh, come and crossed illegally into the United States since then. So, But that was a specific repudiation of Trump's policies. So Trump is saying, we're going to do it again. As a matter of fact, it was interesting. Uh, he had Tom Holman, uh, the former top um, <laughs> uh, Customs and Border Patrol official, come up last night and talk about how they were going to stop the flow at the border, he, that, Holman was like the only non-former candidate uh, who got to speak last night. Yeah, and he says, I'm going back. 
Uh, if Trump wins, I'm going back. Lastly, the, this advice, I'm going to see if Byron New York is going to give the same advice as Van Jones to President Biden. Cut 26. If I were Biden, I would, I would stay hidden. And I'll tell you why. Um, he doesn't inspire confidence. Byron York, would you agree with Van Jones' assessment? That is absolutely true. He does not. I mean, that's, as a matter of fact, that's a good. And obviously, Van Jones is a Democrat, so he's not going to just trash yeah. Biden. But that's a very a smart way to say it because, uh, you know, I was looking the other day at something Joe Biden had said during the campaign in 2019. So we're talking four years ago. And the decline in the strength of his voice, uh, the clarity of his, his enunciation, uh, the way he spoke and what he said, the decline was obvious in the last four years. Much, much more obvious when you looked 15, 20 years ago. Um, but I, I, Van right. Jones's advice is good. You just he should probably you know stay out of the public eye as much as possible. Right. I'd like you a lot as long as I don't see you. Uh, the better, the better. The, uh, we'll get <laughs> yeah. along great if we just never see each other. Thank you. Uh, Byron York, exciting time. We finally have results to talk about. Always great. It's always great to get your analysis. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Listen, now it's time for your analysis. 1-866-408-7669. I have a lot to say. Also, uh, Middle East is on fire. I, I keep on wanting to get to it, then I get caught up in these numbers. But I want to go over some, some of the things that are taking place now. And our Secretary of Defense is running things, apparently, from Zoom. Brian Kilmeade Show. Covering this election year like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. And one more thing, Jake. I heard him say that uh, people are flooding in from mental institutions across the border. I asked uh, Trump's campaign for evidence of this claim, which he says at pretty much every rally. Find me some source, some anything to suggest that that foreign countries are emptying their mental institutions, as he's claiming, to send people across the border as migrants. His own campaign could not find a single shred of evidence. What an ass. Uh, this guy, what a jerk. Daniel Dale, fact-checking the president. You know, I mean, tell me any criminals. How many, uh, how many criminals have been uh, coming from Venezuelan prisons in Cuba and around the world? Do you think these are all Boy Scouts coming through? Then you're fact-checking the president. Joe, you're in Long Island. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brian. Good morning. You got me? Got gotcha. you. What's on your mind? Oh, listen, I loved your coverage up there in New Hampshire. It was, I enjoyed it Thank so you. much. The Fox couch, it was great. Haley's hurting the Republican Party at this point. And American doesn't need on-the-job training. We, America needs Trump. We are dying out here. I wanted to talk about Chris Sununu because I've been watching him. I didn't know anything about him. I heard this mystique about the Sununus up there. He's embarrassed himself because uh, – uh, he, he lost his hometown. I lost my transport. He lost his hometown by 70% in Salem, New Hampshire. 70% to 30. He lost. And you're there for 100 years, your name. He called Trump a weak candidate to you this morning. Trump got 76 million record votes last time. That's a lot. That's probably not all Republicans. And, uh, you know, she was tone deaf on the couch, Haley, with you. She called you, insulted you guys. You're on the couch, and you insult the people. She showed her true colors. She's a used car salesman, Brian. That's what she is. Yeah. Now, uh, well, we look, Joe, Joe I, the blaming the media. 
the blaming the media thing is not new, but it was surprising coming from her, being that you know what was happening at the same time? Donald Trump put on Truth Social that Fox has become the Bird Brain Network, which was his nickname for her. And at the same time, DeSantis was going talking to Axios, saying the, the media iced him out and, want, and wouldn't call Trump out. So everybody's unhappy. She was nasty, Brian, uh, last night. She was nasty calling him a loser. And she just got lost by 12%. She got a buck kick, yeah. and she uh, came out nasty. Right. You know what, Joe, the thing is, I think there's a, there might be something, too, that the, the Obama-Hillary-Clinton fight that made Obama a better candidate. I don't think it's necessarily bad for Trump to to fight it out a little bit more. If he wants to do it and burn through money, I just don't know anybody who sees a passage for the nomination for her. But I don't have anything negative to say about her. I don't. She's trying to win. She's got a really good resume. I think she's, she's worked extremely hard. When you come out and you want to blame Fox for things that ridiculous, you know, John Kerry blames Fox, the president blames Fox. Now you have DeSantis, Trump, and Haley blaming Fox. We have to be doing something right. A lot of people are watching and notices and notice what we're saying. So that's always good news. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go. And the next one is my sweet state of South Carolina. At one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running. And we were at 2% in the polls. Well, I'm a fighter. And I'm scrappy. And now we're the last one standing next to Donald Trump. And today we got close to half of the vote. We still have a ways to go, but we keep moving up. And that is how Nikki Haley interpreted the results yesterday. She lost 54-43. It's still somewhat in flux. We don't have 100% of the vote. It's between 11 and 12 points. And uh, the delegate count is 31-16. There will not be another contested race until... February 24th, the next one is the 8th, but she is not in it. She's not in the Nevada caucus. And the big day, uh, another big day is on the 27th, um, right after that of February in Michigan, March 2nd. There's uh, an an Idaho caucus in Missouri, March 3rd, Washington, D.C., March 4th. Senator Tommy Tuberville joins us and to offer his analysis and talk about everything that he's been working on. Senator, what's your take on Governor Haley's interpretation of the results? Well, uh, she's she's begging, uh, you know, and she's run hard. She's uh, this has been in her mind for a long time. I've heard her spoke about four or five years ago when I was actually running for my Senate job in in in, in Alabama, and she said the same things. I, 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 you know, she doesn't talk about policy that much. She just t- attacks President Trump. We know what he stands for. Let's hear about what she stands for. But she got a lot of vote. I was a little worried about this. Uh, New Hampshire, because it's a Democratic state, and you got a, a rhino for a governor up there in Sununu that we tried to get to run for uh, Senate, but uh, but he didn't want to do it because he's afraid he couldn't win. But, uh, you know, President Trump did well. I picked 55 percent before it started, and he almost got 55 percent in a Democratic state. And now he's getting down into the South, and uh, Nikki Haley is not going to like what she's going to see when she gets to South Carolina. But, uh, again, President Trump's going to have to keep working, and and, but that's good. You know, he, he doesn't mind working. 
Yeah, Senator, I, I tell you, I've got to push back on Governor Sununu would have won that Senate seat, no problem. He's really uh, conservative. I know his, I've known him for a while. The thing is, he doesn't think Trump can win. He says, I will support him, but he doesn't think he can win. What do you say to doubters? I know you're all in. And I know he really likes you, the president, was with him on uh, Monday. But what do you say to people who, who think that he can't win the general because he didn't because of uh, because of what happened in 2022 and with uh, what happened in 2020? Well, uh, all I can tell you is that, you know, I'm a I'm not a politician. You know that, Brian, I was a football coach. I've been up for three years. I've been out politicking. And, you know, I, I listen to all these people up here. Most of them never had a job in their life. You know, they're most of them are lawyers and and, uh, you know, they're, they're career politicians. Uh, the one thing that I can tell uh, uh, the governor from New Hampshire is Donald Trump better win, uh, because what I see here, what I see every day, not just from Democrats, but also some Republicans. We're losing our country a little bit every day. We're losing our freedoms. We used to be the land of the free home of the brave. Now we're the land of free stuff. Uh, we give more money away to people that doesn't want to do anything. You've got to go out and earn your keep. Uh, but Donald Trump, everybody says, well, give me the main reason that you uh, are for Donald Trump. He's a leader. Now, in the White House today, we don't know who's making the decision, whether it's a bunch of Generation Z uh, kids or uh, young adults behind the scenes. Is it Obama? Is it John Kerry? Uh, it's surely not uh, Joe Biden. Now, he might be involved some, but not very much. We have to have a leader in this very tough time, not just in our country, but the world, that's going to stand up and say, this is what I believe in. This is what we're going to do. And we can't have if, ands, or buts. That's what happens in politics. We've got to have a leader, Sean, in that White House, because if we don't, if we don't, we will not make it as a country we, you and I have grown up in, in the next four years. It will be so far gone, I don't know whether we can ever get it back. We're almost gone as we speak. Senator Tommy Tuberville called me Sean Hannity, which is an honor. Uh, but I, but he doesn't start working yet. The guy's still, uh, he's working on preparing for his radio show. But, Senator, I want to bring you to Lloyd Austin. He emerged yesterday on Zoom to talk about strikes in Yemen and in Iraq. Cut 35. Good day, everyone. Uh, thanks for working across time zones uh, to join us for the 18th meeting of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group. We're eager to enter this new year with new energy. And we're all here to reaffirm our support for a free, secure, and sovereign Ukraine. Is he in charge? I think he is to some degree. Uh, Brian, excuse me for calling you Sean, but it's been a, a long morning That's already. Okay. But uh, I think he is. Uh, it, you know, I'm on Armed Services Committee, and he I always know. makes good statements. And and I think that uh, uh, you know he he understands the situation. Of course, uh, I hate he's been sick for the last month. It's been a tough time for him. But at the end of the day, we're having a, <laughs> a big conference today with Republicans about Ukraine. Now I've studied this for three years or two years. Read everything. Uh, I want to know how we get out of this. What is the what is the goal here? It's just instead of spending money and paying for their government officials and their first responders, fifty seven thousand of their pension plans, and and sending over materials to fight a, a a battle that they can't win. They've they've gotten so many people killed here. What is the what is the end game here? Is anybody negotiating getting us out of this mess? Because we got China looking at Taiwan, and we got a huge mess in the Middle East, and we're still trying to push a narrative that Ukraine can beat Russia. Ukraine couldn't beat Russia in a month of Sundays. 
They couldn't be. They don't have the people. It's a people's game. We can give them all the weapons they want. They don't have the people to fight a war. They're they are well, they have been massacred. Well, I mean, they've taken out ninety percent of the Russian army that originally invaded. They've killed, I think, three Russians for every one Ukrainian. But they have one hundred and fifty million people. They are they, they, the Russians are now drafting like sixty year olds. But uh, you're right. They're using North Korea's artillery. We didn't do anything about that. They're using Iran's drones. We did nothing about that. And if you let Ukraine fight, they're taking out our enemy by the day. But I would love to see a plan. I would love to find out why they, why we can't, the F-15, why they have no air force, even though we have our allies willing to donate, give them F-15s and F-16s. We have taken six months to train them. I don't know one pilot that's been trained yet. And the president never communicates what he wants, how he plans on doing this stuff. He plans on letting Republicans explain it. <laughs> hey, Sean, you, I mean, excuse me, Brian, you can't, F-16s, a handful of them are not going to help, okay? Uh, it's not going to help. The, the high Mars they ran out of, uh, we can't make them fast enough. They're, they're shooting. Again, they don't have the people. I would, I, I wish since we'd gotten in this that they could have beaten uh, Russia because I, Putin is a killer. He's a thug. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we could do to end this war. We could help the Ukrainians. Uh, this pushing NATO uh, on Ukraine, not having an election really upsets me. You know, everybody has elections during wars. And for him, for Zelensky to say, we're not going to have an election, that's not right. You need to continue. you got to listen to your people. I, I don't think anyone. But, the United States. but do you think the people of Ukraine want an election right now? They need to have one. We didn't need to have one in World War II, but we had one. I mean, you need to get the voice of the people. I mean, we're we're we're, we're cheerleading for for Ukraine to win this war, and I'm one of them since we're in this thing. But you also got to listen to the people that are going to fight this war. They get a vote. They get an opportunity to express their opinion. If they want to vote him in, fine. But you know, you it's a, it's supposed to be a democracy. Shut. Do you ever see any footage of a of the fight? in Ukraine on television. I grew up watching uh, footage every day of, of uh, Vietnam. You know, we had live footage, and you see live footage of, of what's going on in Gaza, but you never see anything happen in Ukraine with the battles over there. I, there's a lot of things going on, Sean, even being a senator and being in, uh, able to go to these classified hearings. There's a lot of things that don't add up uh, with all this going on right now. But, again, it goes back to leadership and the reason that we need somebody that can make a decision like President Trump is we need right. Joe Biden to get somebody to sit down with Putin and say, listen, let, we're going to continue funneling money to Ukraine, but can we work on a, a, a an option here to get out of this thing? We cannot right. continue this. We can't continue to do it. We can't afford it. The only way that we're going to stop this war, and I've told the Republican Party, the only way that we're going to stop this, because we have people that want to fight even in the Republican side, is financial ruin. We're going. We're already broke, and and it's, we continue to spend but it's, the money. It's like only three. Per, we don't have but, the money. Uh, it, it's three percent of our defense budget, right? I understand that, but the problem is, you know, we, we're thirty-four yeah. trillion already before you start the defense budget. Okay, I'm I'm for spending whatever we need on the defense budget. You know, and but we need Europe to step up. We need NATO to step up. We need everybody to get involved in this, and then get a plan. Tell us what your plan is. Again, I'm on armed services, gotcha. and I have. I, I want to get to. I want to get you to the Middle East. Yesterday, U.S. forces struck Qatab, Hezbollah, uh, and tried to diminish their capabilities in Iraq. We also, along with the U.K., struck Houthi rebel sites in Yemen. Can you tell us what you know about this and what the plan is there? 
but there is no plan, Brian. There is no again. Somebody come tell us so we can help you, so we can help fund this. Uh, I've talked to uh, people that have been on some of our ships in the Red Sea that have uh, knocked down and these attacks on their own ship. I talked to a, a Navy uh, crewman the other day, and he's and I said, "Well, what happened?" So, well, they sent a drone at us and we shot it down. I said, but he said he, he said this. Here's the problem we got, Coach. They're sending in these four or five thousand dollar drones to attack us. I know. And we're shooting a two to three to four million dollar missile to knock it down. We can't sustain that. We can't sustain it. We have to have options to do this. Now we don't want to lose any military people. We don't want to go on the ground in Yemen. They're going to continue just to keep us tied up, using our money, using our missiles. That's their plan. They're trying to drain us. They're trying to prolong this, uh, not just in in Yemen, but in Ukraine and the Middle East and attacking all our bases. But when you have an appeasement president like we have that won't that when they slap us in the face, that we won't slug them with with something coming back other than just stepping back and kind of looking at the situation, we're going to have huge problems. I mean, our world is on fire. True. Uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville, you're also, uh, say, uh, momentum is building for a bicameral legislation preventing Veterans Affairs resources from being used on illegal immigrants. I can't believe you need to do this, but is that indeed what's happening, and how can we stop it? Sure it is. Sure it is. First of all, God bless uh, Governor Abbott for standing up down there and protecting the people of Texas. Uh, You know, I don't care what anybody says, protect your people, but the border's a mess. You've been there. uh, Brian, it is. It, I mean, it's embarrassing that you know, we can't protect our own borders. But what's happening now, I'm on the VA committee. We have 19 million veterans in this country. We can only uh, look after about half of them, about 9, 10 million, because we don't have the facilities, even though we spend billions of dollars. We don't have the facilities. So we started these community care systems in the rural areas all over the country where if you're a veteran, you don't have to drive three or four hours to a VA. You can go to a local place and, and be seen. Well, now Joe Biden, he's got to find a way to feed all these illegal immigrants. He's got to find a way to house them. And now he's got to find a way for health care. Well, guess what he's doing? He's taking money from the VA, letting them go and get in line at these community care systems, kicking our veterans at the end of the line. It is it's embarrassing. It really is embarrassing now that we're attacking our veterans with these illegals, and it's going to continue, and it's going to get worse. Uh, but, again, there's no plan. There's no answer. There's no end game here other than, hey, we're just going to leave it open and let them all come in. Not acceptable. Uh, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Senator. Uh, where can people go to support you? Uh, I can't imagine a Democrat or Republican wants to stand in your way on this. Um, you have 19 co-sponsors. So is this going to get a vote? Well, not with Chuck Schumer in charge. He doesn't bring anything up that makes any sense. Uh, now, he's going today uh, uh, try to bring up a bill, well, maybe not today in the near future, about getting rid of menthol cigarettes and Zen, which is a, a, a nicotine pack that you put in like dip. Uh, right. He's totally against those two. But he, he's not against fentanyl coming across the border and and getting the answer to that and killing a hundred thousand Americans a year. I mean, he's not against that. It, you, Brian, you uh, you can't make this up. You really can't. And I, I know, you know, <laughs> I, I sound disgusted. I am disgusted because nothing right is going on in our country right now, and the American taxpayer deserve much much better. I hear you, Senator Tommy Tuberville. Always a man of action. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian.
You got it, one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll finish up this hour with some of your calls and get your feedback. We do have a result in the primary. It looks like an 11 to 12-point win for President Trump. Nikki Haley says, I will fight on another day. Uh, Ron DeSantis has spoken out uh, the two days after he decided to get out. How does he feel? You're going to be interested to hear what he had to say, only if you keep it on the Brian Kilmeade Show. On the road to 2024. This race is far from over. She's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. The latest polls. Instant analysis. There are dozens of states left to go. And we'll be there for everyone. Right here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. President Trump, I would go home tonight. I'd go to my victory party. I would celebrate. I've made history yet again. But then I'd go home and I'd look under the hood. And when you look under the hood of our Fox News voter analysis data, you find that 32% of Republicans say, "We we won't vote for Trump. I've got to unite the party. That's the argument Nikki Haley's making. And number two, I would look. Nikki Haley won independence, according to Fox News voter analysis, 59 to 33. So I go home if I'm Trump. I celebrate. And then I say, I got to unite this party. I got to win independence. That's how I beat Biden. So that is Kelly McEnany, uh, the former press secretary for President Trump, offering some great advice. Trump did not love that advice, uh, which is crazy. He says, I don't need any advice from her. You should. Not only does she know politics, she knows you and knows how to defend you. I'm not sure why President Trump does not understand that she's an analyst now. And I'm sure George Stephanopoulos, when he became an analyst on Channel 7 he uh, on ABC, he had to say negative things about the Clintons. I know they were not happy with him, but he has a different job now. I'm sure they was softball, softballs, but Kaylee's got a different job. When he does something, he I think the president has a hard time understanding how somebody used to work for him could say negative things about him. It's only negative in the, what his actions are. It isn't on him personally, but that is just some of the feedback he got um, uh, last night because he came out last night and he was definitely angry. Here's some more of the president last night going after the governor of New Hampshire. Cut 10. You have the very, the now very unpopular governor of this state. This guy, he's got to be on something. I've never seen anybody with energy. He's like uh, hopscotch. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching this guy, and two weeks ago he said, we're going to win, we're going to win in the landslide, we're going to win. About three days ago he started saying, well, we want to do well. That's a big difference. Uh, I'm not sure what hopscotch means, but he does have a lot of energy. He does talk very fast. But Governor Stenew is extremely savvy, grew up in politics, has never lost an election, and helped close it, uh, close the gap between uh, Nikki Haley and President Trump. I, I think the president had a great win last night. I think Nikki Haley, two things could be true. Nikki Haley did well, and the president had a great win. It's unprecedented. No non-incumbent has ever won both these states. And by the way, lost, obviously, afterwards, won both these states. And now they move on. He's in really good stead. It seems like he has plenty of money. He's got some breathing room now with no court case looming over him. Even in March, Alvin Bragg could be first in April. But I don't know. Is that even going to work? I haven't heard much about that since they had that ridiculous indictment last year. So I think there's more good than bad. And I wonder if the president's going to go out of his way to maybe meet with the press today and kind of walk back some of the anger from yesterday. And as you remember, he's saying about Don Ron DeSantis when he got out. I know it's tough stuff. Going to give him some time. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from New Hampshire. Now, the day after the much-anticipated primary, we now have two contests in the books. Straight ahead is Nevada, where Nikki Haley will not compete, and then South Carolina. Then we got a bunch of carcasses in a certain-to-be Super Tuesday. Uh, with us this hour is going to be, we're going to bring back my uh, portions of my interview, not yet heard, uh, with uh, President Trump. I will let you know what else is going on besides what's happening. But right now in studio, and this is really a hotel room. I uh, should have <laughs> overstated. The former chief presidential speech writer for Bush, 43, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist, and a fellow at the uh, American Enterprise Institute. What takes more of your time, Mark Thiessen? AEI is my home. Really? Yeah, like, yeah. You go there every day. Do you have to? That's my, that's my. That's my. I don't have to go there. Every is day, it a but that's think my, tank? That, it's a think tank. Yeah, it's one of the best. It's the best free market think tank in Washington. And uh, I've got a podcast there called "What the Hell Is Going On." Right. Um, and uh, that's, that's I'm in the Foreign and Defense Policy Department there. That's now, my fun. image of a think tank mm-hmm. is you get up every day about ten, you report to a conference room, and you think with <laughs> other people. <laughs> I mean, I mean, do you think out loud? Do you think I, do you I, start with a topic? Well, I'm thinking out loud now with you, and I think right. out loud on my podcast, and then I think with use my fingers to think. But don't with, you have to collaborate by writing a with col- other things? Yes, absolutely. So actually, it's great. Like, who because, else is there? So uh, Daniel Pletka, who's my uh, co-host sure. on the uh, on the uh, uh, Fred Kagan. Who's the guy who was author of the surge? Who came up with the surge strategy in Iraq? We've got a great uh, department in the foreign and defense policy department. And so, actually, it's interesting. So, when I did the piece on the America First case for Ukraine, and I did the recent piece I did on how you know where actually all the money stays here, I often what I do is I go off to all, I send an, all, an email to all my colleagues at AEI and say, so what are the best arguments for this? And all of a sudden, we'll get an email conversation going, and it's like having some of the smartest people in the mm-hmm. world. In there, in a in a in a uh, in a conversation, and it gives me great ideas for columns and great ideas for articles. So Do you find great... you're the smartest? <laughs> <laughs> Only on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a radio show. Thank you. It eventually, it eventually is going to be a podcast. It's a, it's a uh, uh, we'll see. It's a floor wax and a dessert topic. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was just talking to Tommy Tuberville. He is not. Uh, he is not. Last hour, uh, he is not for this war. Yeah. He's like, I want to end this war. We can't afford this war. You've yeah. heard people. So say I call. That. I called him out because in my Washington Post column because I did a big essay on uh, the fact is people don't realize this. Ninety percent of the military aid we go, go give to Ukraine doesn't go to Ukraine. It stays here in the United States and it goes to create manufacturing jobs here, defense industrial based jobs here. Um, produce what we do is we produce we either give the Ukrainians weapons from our stockpiles and then we replace them with new weapons which are more modern mm-hmm. and better for us. So it's helping Ukraine and it's also helping modernize our military. Or we produce new weapons for Ukraine here in the United States and that's creating our strengthening our defense industrial base for China, for the Middle East, for other challenges we face. And his state is one of the states with the largest uh, recipients of Ukraine aid money. And so I called him out on that, and he and J.D. Vance wrote a very nasty letter to the Washington Post uh, critiquing me, and uh, J.D. Vance uh, then tweeted that he has total contempt for me. So yes. uh, so he and uh, so, you know, said, t- uh, Tommy Tuberville, um, when he votes against Ukraine aid, he's vo- voting against jobs in his state. He's voting against jobs for his constituents. He's voting against strengthening the industrial base here in the United States to produce weapons for our own national defense. Uh, so, yeah, we can't afford that, I guess. When I disagreed with him, the good news is 
he thinks it's Sean Hannity that's integrated. That's good. Well, he's, got, he's uh, that Hannity is so right. cool. He's a, he's a, he's a rock warmonger. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's a, a Ukraine warmonger. But, Mark, does it, uh, this is what bothers me because I have no way of seeing and finding this out. But is our you industrial base column. getting replenished? Are we picking up the pace? Are we spreading out the contracts? Yes. Are we building – uh, are we making ourselves a little bit more? I will give you an example. So the United States uh, defense industry had not produced a single Stinger missile since 2005. Okay. And the reason was. Is we had we, plenty. We, ha- we had them, but also we were fighting terrorists who didn't have planes. Stinger missiles designed to take down a plane. Uh, so Al-Qaeda didn't have planes, but China does. And so we started giving them out of our stockpiles, and then we started producing uh, Stinger missiles for the first time. I even talked to the, the, to the uh, defense uh, industry folks who, who were doing it. They actually had to call people out of retirement to come back and teach workers how to make Stinger missiles. And we are now producing hundreds of millions of Stinger missiles. That's going to be necessary to deter China in a, in a, for, in a conflict with Taiwan. Are we we re- were not producing them. Do you know uh, uh, any way to get access to find out about the replenishment pace and what kind of pace we're you could, on? You could read my column. I wrote a 4,000-word essay in the Washington Post explaining all this, listing out all the weapons that we were producing that we hadn't been no, producing before. No, no, I know, before. but do you think we're keeping up with the invoices that are coming in? Um, we are in some places, yes, in some places, no. It's hard because we, what we're doing is we're, we had allowed our defense industrial base to atrophy after the end of the Cold War, right? And so, like, for example, we're having trouble building, uh, doing, uh, uh, the, uh, the military, the rounds, uh, the 155 millimeter rounds. Right. And, and so now we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars building new plants to produce those. It's going to take a little time for those to get going, but they're, but gotcha. the, we're increasing the production. It's going to take a period of years, but we're not, it's not like we had these stockpiles and we're still producing the capability. And it's like JD Vance, uh, he, he, you know, we have one tank plant in the United States in, in Lima, Ohio, and we're sending tanks to Ukraine. That that's how that that's how that tank plant stays alive. It's 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 foreign military sales because we don't need that many tanks in the United States. So you know we we build our tanks and then there's no more orders because we're not we're just going to keep building them in ad infinitum. The way you do it is you sell them to Poland. Why why is Poland buying tanks? Because they sent their old Soviet tanks to Ukraine, and so then they come back to Lima, Ohio, and order you know 250 Abrams tanks. Right. That's because of the Ukraine war. They wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't for that. Great fact. point. You know what? I also think too. It's, resp- it's the responsibility of these new NATO nations to upgrade their defense systems. I'm well, not saying they got to match us, but that's but, what they're doing. But it seems like we unwrapped that. We took off the canvas. And we go. What are you using? A 1980 plane for a MIG? Yep. You know. That's so exactly right. I, I feel like we're just exposing all that. We go. You know. You got to go ask the Russians for those spare parts. By the way, we're fighting them. Yeah. They're probably not going to give them to you. So that's one thing you probably should have been done as we brought them in. To NATO, say, by the way, the first thing is you got to hit some marks, not just spending, but spending in a way that's going to make NATO more vital. Well, that's what they're doing right now, though. So one of the big uh, – in addition Estonia. to our direct aid to Ukraine, uh, they are – what they're doing is they're sending their old tanks to, to Ukraine and build, buying new tanks from right. us, sending old fighter jets, MiG fighter jets to Ukraine, buying new, uh, new uh, F-35 fighters from us. And so what's happening is because the Allies are sending so much equipment over to there – and by the way, they're doing more than we are uh, in, in, in a proportionally. lot of – Proportionally. Yeah, again, as a percentage of GDP. Again, we, we used to be in fourth place as a percentage of GDP. Then we slipped to ninth. We're now in like 30th place when it comes to percentage of GDP. The, uh, the 
European in allies, the world. In, in, particularly the, the Eastern European allies, are, are way outpacing us in terms of their aid. And But what they're doing is also they're giving their equipment to the Ukrainians and then buying it from us. Right. So it's creating defense jobs here. It's strengthening our defense industrial base. It's preparing us for future conflicts, and it's, create, and it's uh, helping the American economy. How astounding it is, now after you did that column, that nobody's picked up on that, that Admiral Kirby will sit have. there on, as press secretary or whatever he's supposed to be now, uh, and not have that answer and not say this is how it's benefiting. How could a president not sit down with any other network and just say what, what people don't realize, fill in yeah. the dots? Yeah. Or, I mean, they, isn't they that started, part of making They've started the saying it now, but I'll tell you, uh, Brian, to be honest, Sean, um, that when we, uh, we, when we sent what we did is we did several months of research, and we literally did this from scratch with two, two of my researchers at, at the American Enterprise Institute, and we, we went and we went into the con- – we found the contracts. We found everything. We did this database. We sent it to the Pentagon because we wanted to make sure we got it right, and they said, your data is better than ours. Wow. So, I mean, they weren't even tracking this either way. So we, we created a database of these, of these defense so contracts. So did you that, find that Senator J.D. Vance is not a dumb guy, he's a bright guy? Yeah. So what is his argument? Just I have that we are doing too much, too many places – Let's, we have a border yeah, we problem. Can't, we can't afford this and that we don't need, you know, we need to, he says we need to strengthen our defense industrial base, but not, not by giving right. aid to Ukraine. But how do you do it otherwise? Because, uh, I don't because know. you know, we're, we're literally the Lima, I mean, my wife worked for Rob Portman. And there, he's the one who saved the Lima tank plant. The Obama administration wanted to shut it down. The only tank plant in the United States. And the way they the way they saved it is foreign military sales. The only way you you keep the industrial base going mm-hmm. is by selling weapons to our allies and to and, and that. And so that's what's what's going on. So when you say you don't want aid to Ukraine, we can't uh, afford it. You're saying we don't need the Lima tank plant. We need a good salesperson. And Victor Boot is now out of prison thanks to that. <laughs> since, and we also and we also have a great uh, women's basketball player. We could use. Some of our assets. We could. Say, Victor, would you help with sell our uh, sell some tanks? Uh, we, you, you got the plan. Let's right. Take, okay. Fantastic. So yesterday, a uh, almost eleven or twelve point win, depending what uh, how close they are to counting all the balance for the president of the United States. And after he won, uh, and found out that Nikki Haley had come out already, congratulated him, and then said, "I'm sticking around." Here's what he said. Cut seven. I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, "Wow, what a great victory." But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely when it was at 7. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But but she ran up when it was 7. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know... Last last week, we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. So uh, your thoughts about what took place last night and the president's tone last night? He's definitely pivoting to the general election and, and, and unifying the party. <laughs> <laughs> Sarcasm for those scoring at home. So here's here's the problem Donald Trump faces and what 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 the results showed us yesterday. So he he's as he said, he's won three uh, New Hampshire primaries in a row. The last one he won 86 to nine, uh, beating Bill Weld. 
Uh, you can't use that comparison. I can Mark. use that comparison. He was the sitting president. Bill Weld but is he's the sitting. Nobody he, even knows who he is. The, he's the effectively the sitting president for the Republican Party today. He's the Republican incumbent, and he's lost thirty points. Do you remember when Ted he, Kennedy ran against Jimmy Carter? Yeah, that's what this is. What this is like, right? Yeah, but see, this is like Nikki Haley's a legitimate candidate. I agree with that, but why is a legitimate candidate challenging Donald Trump? What, what's the problem, and why are so many people voting for her? We'd have to yeah, we'd have to go we, back to what year did Grover Cleveland do this? Like, the, I mean, was, yeah. this is all new. I know it's all new, but what but my point is is that what Nikki Haley, he'd attack Nikki Haley for saying, "Oh, independents and Democrats are voting for her." Oh my God, a Demo- independents and Democrats voting for a Republican? What a terrible thing that is! That's how Ronald Reagan won the presidency. Right. That's how he beat Jimmy Carter with the Reagan Democrats. We need Haley Democrats, and the and the problem he faces is that. Forty-four percent of New Hampshire voters who voted in the Republican primary uh, didn't vote for him, and they might not vote for him in November. You know, people say, well, where are they going to go? Maybe no labels. Maybe there's a third-party ticket. There's lots of places they can go, or they could stay home. This election is going to be decided by a few hundred thousand swing voters in five or six swing states. And he's he's got to win those people over if right. he wants to be president. MAGA uh, is not going to win the election. Well, no, 100 percent. And we, we both agree on that. And he's got to He's got to uh, go out and have a plan. He's got a machine now. He's got a machine. He's got to. Um, and Susan Wilde has been fantastic and say, listen, we need we need a game plan for this. But I'm just looking at the, the real clear average. Yeah. Biden. Uh, Trump beats Biden by three point eight. Biden beats DeSantis. Uh, it's a dead heat. Haley Biden. Haley by one point one. Okay, but the, so, but if you look at the polls that are underlying in that, there's not a single poll that shows Donald Trump beating uh, beating Joe Biden by double digits. There's like four or five of showing uh, Haley beating him by, by double digits. If you look at the New York Times-Siena swing state poll that he spent a lot of time touting because it showed him n- narrowly ahead of of uh, Biden in in the bunch of the swing states, she crushes Biden in all those swing states. In that poll. Uh, Trump loses Wisconsin by two points. She wins it by thirteen. Right. Is, so you like, but you obviously like Haley better. Well, I, did you like Haley better? Period, or is she just the only other survivor? Uh, she's she's the survivor, and she's the, she's the candidate who can who can win. That has it, it, I, th- I think that she would absolutely. If you ask any of the Democrats who've been with us this weekend, right? Uh, you know, Juan. You ask uh, you know, Jesse uh, Tarlov or that. Who are you most Marie Harf? Who are you most afraid of? That everyone will say to uh, Nikki Haley. One of them told me yesterday, if if we nominated Haley, she would beat Biden by twenty points. How well put it this way? I I, I want to win. I, I don't a, want another four I years. Understand, but you understand that I, I like Nikki Haley too. I like her, yeah. so, but what I have been seeing, I'm open to seeing things as they change in the landscape. And what I've noticed, and the reason why, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think you know how bad Joe Biden's doing on the key issues that matter most. I, I never do. thought the border would be number one. I thought it would be number one me. Yeah. I never thought it was going to be number one for Republicans and number two for Democrats. And this guy doesn't have to say, take my word for it. I say, you, I'll tell you exact plan. I, I'm going to wheel out the guy that's going to do it. He's done it before. So if certain things are happening, the Middle East is going on fire. He has no argument anywhere. He can't even. He can't even that's say, why, look at what I've done to the economy. I got electric cars. That's why he says mega, mega, mega. Because he has literally, he's underwater on every single issue. He's the most unpopular president right. in the history of presidential polling, and yet. He's within the margin of error with Donald Trump in the RCP average. And, in the and mar- with Nikki Haley. Yeah. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm just telling <laughs> I'm just, you that, there, again, that's that's the average. She There are tons of polls showing her crushing him. All right. And, you know, I just he's he who do you think would be would be more attractive to independents and swing voters? If you lose the base, 
I can't pretend that. So the uh, base is going to let Joe Biden get elected because Donald Trump's not the I'm nominee. I'm not sure they wouldn't. You know how loyal they are to Trump. The, well, that would be insane. That, I mean, truly. We you, are in an insane goal, period. I agree with that. But we you, the goal is to defeat Joe Biden. I, I'm going to pick up on that when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show, Mark Teese in a few more minutes unless he takes a swing at me in the break. <laughs> Hear the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If I were Biden, I would, I would stay hidden, and I'll tell you why. Um, he doesn't inspire confidence. <laughs> this is Van Jones with his advice for Joe Biden: Don't talk, don't be seen. For more on this, here's Mark Thiessen for the Washington Post uh, Fox News AEI. That's the advice you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to talk. You do this for a living. So so what do you think about uh, Van Jones? Yeah, he's right. I mean, look. Just don't do anything. I mean, truly. So here's the problem. This is another problem with the Trump candidacy, right? That, uh, and I hate to do this, but but I, I got I to gotta speak truth. And, you know, if, if people ignore me, then they ignore me and the chips fall where they may. Joe Biden, the only way he wins this election, he's the most unpopular president in history. The only way he's underwater and everything. Only way he wins this is by making this election a referendum on Donald Trump. To win this election, we have to make this a referendum on Joe Biden and focus the spotlight mm. on him. Joe Biden wants to make this a referendum on Trump, and so does Donald Trump. Donald Trump wants to always wants to make it about him, and because he thinks that's great. And he's and then we're going to as uh, he's been sort of in the basement for the last three years. He's not been in the in, a, in the news every day. It started more as the as the, as the trial started and everything like that, as the campaign started heating up. But now we're in full campaign swing. He's going to be out there every day. He's going to be in the courtroom all the time talking about his cases, which is not what we want to be talking about. And so it's made it's pitch perfect for the for the Democrats. They just sit back and let Trump be the focus of everything. Talk about his cases. Talk about January 6th. Talk about the 20 stolen 2020 election talk about whatever else they bring up against him and they just let that be the news story and they win if 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 uh donald trump does one thing that you just said he'll be okay compare my four years to his three i i told and him that, that i told him a couple of years ago i said it was just it, i told him after he went back to mar-a-lago i had a phone call with him and i told him stop talking about 2020 Talk. Uh, it, he has begun. I mean, he it really he's doing well with that. You well, have to say let's, that. let's let's see how that works out when he's on trial for 2020. Right. <laughs> right? Well. You know, I mean, he, he what he should be talking about all the time is wasn't it great when I was president and look at how it is now. Right. And if he talks about that, that's a successful message. But I don't know that he has the discipline or the, the structure for him to do that. I love when you end in a question to make people want to keep listening because maybe we'll give him the answer. Like, we don't know. <laughs> so interesting. Mark Thiessen, thank you. Thank you. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Joe Biden is a good man. He is a fine man. Yes, he is, everybody. He's our president. But I got to tell you, everyone, he cannot win. The polls are saying he cannot win. His approval numbers are saying he can't win. And the fact that an unknown congressman from Minnesota two weeks before the election said, I'm going to come up here and run for president, just got 21 percent. That's saying something, too, my friends. 
I mean, I, I was very impressed with Congressman Phillips when he was on our show yesterday, and I got some texts from people that I didn't even know were listening who said to me, "Who, man, it's the first time I ever heard that guy. He talked about his dad dying in Vietnam when he was just months old and how, how all the success he had in business, uh, the ups and downs along through along the way, well, how he got involved in, in Minnesota politics and everything like that. But there he's just being honest and candid. This is what we say all the time. I don't know if Joe Biden's a good guy. I don't know. You know, I, I know that he's had a rough road and no, through, no circum, through no fault of his own between his uh, wife dying and all the tragedy with the accident, then his son dying of brain cancer. No one wishes that on anyone. I, did, I don't know what, what he is personally. Got it? Don't love the way he's lying constantly with his son, the 51 Intel agents, and everything that he's done. He's obviously had some problems. Uh, I don't like any of his issues. But the thing is what Dean Phillips is saying on the left is what they say in public is what most are saying behind his back, that he's not ready and they can't believe his wife is not stepping up and stepping in and saying, you got to step out. So he got 21% of the vote. 61% of the people wrote in Joe Biden's name. But the, but the state of New Hampshire has to be ticked off at Joe Biden. This guy went out of his way to change tradition that was been decades old in order for them to have the first primary. Dean Phillips walks in, beats Marianne Williamson, who's been doing this, what, six years? Nobody cares. Dean Phillips walks in, makes some sense. He's a Democrat, says the border's a problem. You know, and and starts talking about things that John Fetterman's been talking about and Bill Maher's been talking about. And immediately the Democrats run over and say, I'm going to vote for this guy. That should give you a clue. Here's a little more. Cut 34. I want to celebrate Nikki Haley tonight for the tenacity she has to stay in this race and still try to take that man down because you know what? I think we need to. And I think having her in the race and me in the race could be the most important decisions for both of us in our lifetimes. This country deserves options. This country should not have coronations. And I know, I know the exhausted majority of this country, center-right and center-left Americans, I know they'd much rather see a Nikki Haley, Dean Phillips matchup this November, and we're going to try to get that done. Right, but the polls don't say that. Uh, Senator John Cornyn said, I've seen enough. I'm endorsing Donald Trump. We saw that 13 members of uh, lawmakers in South Carolina endorsed Donald Trump. I don't know why Nikki Haley does not want to compete in Nevada's caucus on the 8th. That would have been an interesting interim step instead of waiting on the 24th. It's a lot of money. I know she spent $4.5 million in South Carolina, she says, but people have told me, watch to see if they did a projected money, pre-projected spots, if they actually paid in advance. So if she, in fact, did $4.5 million, that's a lot of money to burn for a candidacy that's actually over. And remember, too, is uh, when you look at NYU Langone, that is Ken Langone. When you look at Home Depot, that's Ken Langone. He's 88 years old, extremely bright, top of his game. He said, I'm going uh, I'm going to leave Trump. I'm going to Nikki Haley. But he said, if she does not win in New Hampshire or get really close, I'm out. I'm curious to see if he is out. He goes, I don't burn my money or throw it away or just bury it in a hole. Interesting. How many other people feel like that? Now, Brian Yenis is our reporter with the Haley camp. He says these, this is the mindset that he's getting from their officials. She says there are now two states where Donald Trump barely got half the vote. That's incredibly weak for an incumbent. Everyone said he was going to win by 20 points, and that did not happen. Why is he so angry for someone who threatened, but who's, who's not threatened by Nikki? He sure talks about her every chance he gets. Obviously, there's spin within there. Well, who else you want to talk about? There's nobody else in the race, number one. Number two, he's angry because he won by 12. He thinks those two decisive wins, not by 20. He never said by 20. 
His goal was double figures. And I think that you can't say that in a primary that once had 12 people, not getting over 50%, it's not incumbent. Incumbent was 2020. Incumbent was uh, 2012, Barack Obama against Mitt Romney. Obama, an incumbent is, Joe Biden is the incumbent. Just because in our lifetime we've never seen somebody lose an election, go back, uh, win an election, lose an election, go back to and try to win an election, and is up in, in most of the battleground states in overall and popularity head-to-head with Joe Biden, I don't think that makes him incumbent. But I've, listen, Nikki Haley feels as though she can go ahead. I think the key is, does she have the money to continue? But I bring this into what David Axelrod said. Oftentimes, before we get into the heat of battle, somebody who speaks words of wisdom 10 months before an election, here's what he said that really is going on in the Haley camp. Cut 15. The fact is, you know, when you set out to win a primary and you don't win it, it's hard to spin it into a victory. And you can't keep doing it. In, in, in Iowa, she was going to finish second. She finished third. In New Hampshire, she was going to win. And tonight, you know, we'll see how the final numbers come in. It seems to be widening a little bit. Uh, I really question, I mean, I uh, I question whether she really ultimately wants to go forward to South Carolina and put her popularity to a test in her home state. And I'm wondering whether her her supporters and her her financers, her donors, are going to want to do that too. I mean, I think the handwriting's on the wall. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, she seemed so definitive that she was moving on, seemed very happy last night. I think that's what threw Trump a little bit. So here's Steve Kornacki. He oftentimes does a great job. They actually use him on football games and sports now. Cut 14. He's with MSNBC. It's a two-person race right now. And in most of these states that are going to vote Super Tuesday, the rule is basically if you get 50% plus one, you get all the congressional district delegates. If you get 50% plus one, you get all the statewide delegates. And in a two-person race, it just means win. If Trump's getting 51 and Haley's getting 49, he will take all in a district or he will take all uh, statewide. And you just look, you know, Michigan, you go down to to March 5th. It's a 50 percent rule in Alabama, in Arkansas, California statewide, 50 percent plus one closed primary. Trump's at 66 percent in the latest poll in California. You get all 169 there. You know, now North Carolina is proportional. She could have Haley could have an opportunity there. Texas, 50 percent. You win the district, all the votes, 50 percent. You win the statewide, all the votes. This is, you know, Haley could do well in Vermont, I could see. But this is just a recipe looming on the 5th of March for what the Republican process is designed to do to get a nominee early. Yeah, I mean, it's 10 months. It's pretty early right now if it came to a close. And Trump would save some energy, save some time, and save some money. And maybe that's what he sees. He sees he's got to spend some money. And a lot of money has to go to his, uh, a lot of money has to go to his legal defense. What I thought was interesting, and just keep your eye on this, Ron DeSantis is not happy. Even though he said, I'm going to endorse Donald Trump, he's not helping him. They called him up. He didn't really respond. And then yesterday he was telling uh, Axios a few things. He said just one day after dropping out, DeSantis publicly vowed to veto any Republican proposal to authorize the use of Florida tax dollars to pay Trump's legal bills. He said uh, DeSantis appeared on the Steve D. show, whatever that is. The Florida governor claimed that after months of boosting Trump as a juggernaut who will defeat Biden, the corporate media has flipped to warning of the former president's vulnerabilities. I don't know. What, what are you talking about? He wanted to talk about the pandemic and press about how big Trump's lead, and everybody wants to talk about is how big Trump's lead is. 
Who wants to talk about the pandemic? No one wants to talk about the pandemic. When asked, say how great you did. But nobody cared about the pandemic. That's nobody's fault. Brian Kilmeade Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. You know, this week I had a chance to catch up with the President of the United States, the former President of the United States who wants to be the 47th. And uh, I said, let's do something different. And they said, all right, uh, what ideas do you have? I said, why don't I just meet him when he lands on his plane and, and guess see what it's like then he has, as he caravans off and he goes over to his event. Now, we're supposed to have multiple events, and the court got cases got moved around. His mother-in-law died. And next thing you know, he's got one event. It's 9 o'clock at night, and he was going to land until 8 o'clock, which means an hour ride. I'm saying to myself, oh, my God, is this going to work? We get there at 4.30 in order to be, uh, be on the tarmac for his plane at 7. So we're waiting in a van that time. And then when we finally get out, we wait at the bottom of the stairs for another 20 minutes, and it was about 10 degrees. And then finally, we walk up to his plane, talk to him. He gave me a tour. It was awesome. Then he went down. I could see what a game face he had on. I could see how focused he was. I got a speech coming up, and this is what I'm going to be saying. I'm looking to lock at this primary and, and win by double figures. So after we had a chance to do that, then we have this caravan, and the video exists. And just go to Brian, uh, go to any of my social media sites. You'll see the whole piece. should be on foxnews.com, too. Uh, we did that interview. I, sh- I showed it. And then we got actually to the event where he said, let me talk to you right before I go up. Here is that interview. And I deliberately want to talk more about him and his family and the sacrifice on his third run. We could talk about the issues, and we will, to nauseam. So here's that moment. We're here. After an hour ride from the airport, we find ourselves in dead center of New Hampshire, beautiful Laconia, capacity crowd inside. The president just beat us in, so let's go meet him. I love the state. You know, the state was very good to me, New Hampshire, very good to me. If you remember uh, a little while ago, number one. We want to thank the people of New Hampshire, right? You started it. Remember, you started it. And it was a big deal. And uh, we went from there, we went right down the East Coast and Midwest, and then we went all over the place. So we ended up getting it very easily and winning the election. The word is you're thinking more national platform and less about the primary. I think that's true. I, we, wanna, we have a very big job. We have to beat the Democrats. We have to beat, we have to beat Biden. I mean, he's the worst president we've ever had. And we have to, he's destroying our country. You have some... Uh, some opponents that are now allies. Tell us what to expect. Well, we have some great people. Uh, we have Vivek, good old Vivek. We have Governor Bergen, who's here, who's from North Dakota, who's a, actually a very, very high-quality person. And we have Tim Scott, and he uh, just, as you know, endorsed. And we have some other fantastic people. But do you have a sense who you want to bring to Washington with you and maybe... Who are you thinking about? Would you want to be on your team? Well, I think about it all the time. I can't tell you now. I want the best people. And the beauty is that when I first went, I didn't know anybody in Washington. I was a New York person. And now uh, I know everybody. I know the good, the bad, the dumb, the smart. I know every single, I know, I know everybody. And we, we're going to have an incredible team. Right from the beginning, we're going to have an incredible team. About your family. Word is Melania is going to play a, a bigger role when you feel as though you got the nomination. Can you tell me if that's true? Well, she's going to play, and she always did play a big role. She was, uh, 
somebody that you could rely on. She's very smart, a very compassionate person. She wants to, uh, she really wants to see, she wants to make America great again, too. And I would rely on her for advice and all of the others. It was really, uh, I think she's going to be very active in the sense of being active. At the same time, I don't want my family to be too active because they did such a great job last time. And they really were gone after by people that were very unfair. I thought very, very unfair. Eric's fanned out all over. Don Jr. gets big crowds. So they are still involved. How has it been for them, being that you are probably one of the most famous people in the world, constantly in the spotlight? I think they handle it very well. But, you know, it's difficult when you're in politics. You have a certain group of people that no matter what you do, they're not going to love you. And uh, but I think they were treated very unfairly. They had to go through investigations over nothing, all nonsense, and, you know, years of it. It was politics. It was actually politics. And it's a very sad thing because we should be focused on America first, on, you know, just doing great things for our country. And instead, you're always fighting with... And by the way, if it, if it weren't me, if it were somebody else, the same thing would happen. They'd find out. They would be... They put them through the mill, and it's a shame. It's a bad system, and we shouldn't allow it to happen. How tall is Barron at this point? I mean... Yeah, I'd say 6'8". Six, 6'8". Eight. Six, eight. <laughs> he's a tall one. He's a good boy, too. He was a good student, always good and good athlete. And he's a very, uh, he's a very good boy. My observation, it seems like you're, uh, you're relieved that now we're getting some results, that instead of just anticipating what it's going to be like, you're relieved when this stuff is coming in. Well, I like it. I like seeing it. I like the process. I was honored by Iowa last week. I mean, you look at those numbers. They were incredible. Those were incredible numbers. The best ever, actually. And uh, I think we're going to have the same thing here. I think this is going to be... I can feel it. What are they going to hear? They're going to hear a speech from Trump talking about this country. We're going to win New Hampshire and then we're going to defeat crooked Joe Biden and we are going to make America great again. Nervous? Not too nervous. Not too nervous. Well, I've done it before and I've been interviewed by you before and you've always treated me fair. You've come a long way, actually. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I was there first. You were very, you were, you might have done my first interview walking down Fifth Avenue. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Where I asked you, you said, Brian, do you think I'm going to run? Nobody thinks I'm running. Right. You think I'm running, right? My gut tells me this announced coming in May and June that you're in. Okay, let's see what happens. That's true. Now we're walking down Fifth Avenue, everyone. It could have been my first. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Mr. President. So that's Trump, one-on-one. I know he is not happy with Fox. Nikki Haley's not happy with Fox. Ron DeSantis not happy with Fox. Maybe they're all not happy with me. I don't really care. Uh, they're both being ridiculous. Uh, when you're blaming the press because you're not getting the numbers you want, or getting it spun the way you want. I think they're all wrong. Uh, and I just think these people are just flailing. Just win votes. Be happy. Having said that, it makes me wonder, while I'm talking about the primaries, and I love it, it makes me wonder if I need to know more. More to know. I don't know if you, I don't know if you heard, but Harvard needs a president. It's not like they fired her. They just kept gave her a salary and told her to do something else important and not screw that up like it did this one. Guess who they approached? Barack Obama. He mentions Harvard, how much he loved it. He could be hired. Why? Do I say that? Because last week when they asked him, does he want the job, Obama did not say no. He said, I want to defer. Defer my answer instead of rejection. I think after a while, you know, he's in the prime of his life. He's just 60 years old, 62, 63. I think the guy wants to do something. 
I think he loves the academic environment. You know he always talk like a professor anyway. I think that is a great move for him. Next. Start spreading the news. Time Out Magazine ranked the 50 best cities in the world. And guess what? New York wins. I guess they don't count crime. Uh, the world. I'm talking about the whole world, not even the country. I was shocked by this. They said they rank it on food, culture, and nightlife. Now, nightlife is great. I don't experience much of it, being that it, um, I go back to Long Island. But culture, there's a big, I guess there is, you know, you got these museums and you, uh, and you got, uh, you got uh, punk rock and you got comedy. So you do have a diverse. I did not know other cities did not have that diversity and the nightlife and culture. So we'll see. Quote, even though the city is imperfect, the results speak for themselves, says the editor Shane Weaver. Uh, that despite some of its challenges, New Yorkers love the city for what it is. Second was Cape Town, South Africa. London, England, third. Berlin, Germany, fourth. Madrid, Spain, faring out the top five. Next. How about this? Turns out that Bill Maher almost scored a uh, seat as an SNL weekend update host right before they named Norm MacDonald. Now, Jim Downey, the legendary writer of NBC sketch comedy show SNL, was doing a forum with Al Franken. Says Al Franken pod. Oh, he actually was doing a podcast of Al Franken. They shared that he and Danny wrote a lot of the political stuff for the show back when it was really funny. By the way, they were trying to get a replacement for Kevin Nealon's weekend update. I forgot he actually did that. Uh, and they were settling on one of those two, Al Franken or Bill Maher, and they ended up going with Norm Macdonald. And Bill Maher said later he didn't never knew about that how close he was, but they all made the right decision. And good news, Sweden gets the thumbs up from Turkey. It will join NATO. I'm Brian Kilmeade. That is a look at There's More to Know. Thanks so much for following the coverage here in New Hampshire. See you back in New York. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.